This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by international best-selling author Heman Sunim, telling us what to do when things don't go your way. When we are, you know, very young and have a first love and the first love did not work out, we feel as though this is the end of the world. However, we learn that is not the case. We move on. We find some other people. We begin to see that uh, when things don't go your way, uh, maybe it's not the end. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just to warn listeners that today's episode contains distressing and upsetting content. Today on the Indo Daily, the sickening tale of murdering siblings, the Scissor Sisters. It remains one of the most gruesome and grotesque crimes ever in Ireland. A man murdered by his girlfriend's daughters and carved into pieces. It's the story of Farah Swale Noor's death at the hands of Linda and Charlotte Mulhall. A monstrous tale of how he was stabbed repeatedly, had his head and penis chopped off, and his dismembered remains dumped in Dublin's Royal Canal. The brutality of the gory murder at the hands of two young women shocked and appalled the nation. They used several black refuge bags and um, the actual head was apparently put in one of the kids, um, Linda's kids' school bags. I think at their minds they said we get rid of the head that nobody nobody looks like if he is discovered somewhere. I'm Siobhan McGuire and on today's episode we revisit the terrible crimes of the Scissor Sisters in 2005. I'm joined by Eugene Masterson, journalist and columnist for The Sunday World and the only reporter to track down and speak with Linda Mulhall following her release from prison in 2018. Eugene, you've doorstepped Linda Mulhall and we can come back to this later, but can you talk me through the details of that really grisly day in March 2005? This started with the group of people drinking on the Liffey Boardwalk. Yeah, when the lead up to that, um, Farah and Kathleen, they were partners obviously, they decided to go off and buy a bottle of um, vodka and Farah bought that and Kathleen got a bottle of Coke. It was a bank holiday weekend, a sort of, it was Paddy's weekend type thing. And sort of, lots of people were in party mood, so they decided to obviously go partying themselves and they ended up on the Liffey Boardwalk with the, the other two daughters. And down on the boardwalk, the, the, the drinking session continued, but Kathleen and Charlotte, um, they had ecstasy tablets and they popped a few of them. And then they ended up back in Kathleen's... Um, house or cottage up in Ballybock, where things sort of went a bit haywire. And Farah Sarway uh, Noor, 
he was going out with Kathleen for quite a while at this stage, was he? They had lived in Cork, hadn't they, and moved back to Dublin. They did, yeah. He, he came to Ireland in 1996, basically from um, Kenya. He was of Somali origin, but he, he arrived here quite young. So like, um, then he met Kathleen. Um, she was living in Tala at the time. And he moved into the family home. The, 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 she broke up with the, her husband and John at the time, and he moved out with some of the kids. And it was quite a complicated relationship. And then they moved to Cork for a couple of years. And then they moved back to Dublin, where um, they moved into Kathleen's rented accommodation in Ballybock. And so obviously the daughters, Linda and Charlotte, are they in their 20s at this point? At the time of the killing, um, um, I think Linda was about 30 and Charlotte, she was the youngest, she was 21. There were there were six kids in the family when they were growing up in Tala, um, three boys and three girls. So they were quite closely knit at the time as well. And they they have this drinking session. Um, they're, they're taking ecstasy as well. They've taken it back to the house in Ballybock. And what happens then, Eugene? Well, the interesting thing about the ecstasy was that apparently Kathleen, um, unbeknownst to Farah, she actually um, cut up ecstasy tablets and put them into his drink because she said that she wanted him to have the same buzz as the rest of them were on. So she obviously was so off her head that she still wanted him to have a bit of the same sort of sensation that she was feeling yeah. and so basically they were, they were sitting on a two-seater couch Farah and Linda and Charlotte was sitting on the edge of the couch and um, so there were I think Farah he started getting a bit frisky with Linda and this of course didn't go down too well what happened then? Well, he, he, he overreached and basically he told Linda that, oh, they were creatures of the night. So obviously, you know, between everything going on with the drink and the drugs that he was, just went overboard and um, Linda freaked out and he, he kept on grabbing her and grabbing her and she completely freaked out. And then Kathleen lost a rag and shouted out, kill him, kill him for me. And that's exactly what they did. And in a very brutal way, Eugene, can you perhaps remind us um, of what happened? Yeah, well, I don't know how all these implements seem to be lying around the house, but uh, Charlotte picked up a Stanley blade and and quite methodically cut um, Farah's neck from, from side to side. And he collapsed and actually went shock into, onto the ground and holding his, his neck with blood pumping everywhere. And then Linda picked up a claw hammer, however, that was lying around as well. The police report was that he had been stabbed 27 times. Well, pretty much so, because like with the Stanley blade first initially and then the claw hammer and then I don't know what else they had. I think they had a kitchen knife then as well and they started basically making sure that he was good and dead, which Kathleen had asked to do for them, for her. And that's um, what the two daughters pretty much did. They, they savagely knifed him and, and caught him and battered his head with the hammer as well. And then they spend the next few hours doing something uh, completely unthinkable for most of us. It's like something from a gangster movie from The Sopranos or something like to to actually drag this lifeless body at that stage and bloodied and put it into a bath and start to cut it up. And like even trained butchers, I don't think they'd have as much as professionalism at at the job they, they did where they basically tore him from limb to limb. And as we found out subsequently, not only did that, they actually decapitated him and um, cut his penis off as well for extra good measure. 
And then the process of getting rid of the body got underway. And again, this is very brutal in terms of the detail. And you had you had these two young women basically bagging up pieces of a body and getting rid of them around Dublin. Yeah, and Kathleen, subsequently, as we found out, she did help them sort of, she, she didn't participate in the actual killing itself, but she did actually help them, you know, bag and, and bin the body parts. Um, they used several black refuge bags and um, the actual head was apparently put in one of the kids, um, Linda's kids, school school bags, you know, um, that he would bring it to school the next day. He probably missed it, you know, wonder where's my school bag. But actually, Linda actually put the head into the into the bag. But um, there was several theories as to why um, they actually, got, you know, wanted the head completely removed from the, the body itself. Initially, a, a, a forensic pathologist said that the, the penis was removed to, to give them a signal of power, and the head was removed to to, to um, get rid of their torment. That he he would he, he wouldn't be able to look at them again. But um, a lot of people think they were quite cold and calculating that they didn't want the body identified with the head, but like naturally with um, fingerprints maybe. But if a body decomposes, with like I'm sure the fingers will be decompose as well like um, quite yeah. badly you know that it wouldn't be identified but they I think in their minds they said we get rid of the head that nobody will nobody looks like if he is discovered somewhere and also at that time Eugene because I remember it well it sparked a, a national conversation about these so-called ritual killings that might occur in other countries that we wouldn't be familiar because the body had been dismembered now I should say that this this happens obviously after a foot with a sock is found by a group of boys in Dublin's Royal Canal. And then you have this massive search going on for other human body remains, which are subsequently found. And then we hear the story about the fact that Charlotte had put the head into the school bag, buried it in a park in, in Tala, dug it back up, reburied it. And so we had all these details filtering out about this process of getting rid of Farah. Really Really, really grisly stuff. Yeah, well, I don't think we we, we knew about the the head at that stage. What we did know was we had the body parts, but like a lot of people would would have thought of things like voodoo or satanic cults, and and obviously they probably knew at that stage that he was a black man. So that you know that a lot of um, people from Africa and they have quite ritualistic things, and we know about the horrible things. Um, the, the mutilation that some female, you know, genitalia and things like that. So, like, it's it's, it's quite a gruesome type scene that to, to discovered all these body parts in in a canal that hasn't really been heard of in Ireland anyway. How did we find out that Linda and Charlotte were the people responsible for dismembering and killing Farah? Well, there was a couple of things. Um, one was that. Um, Farah was obviously, as, as I mentioned earlier, was of Kenyan origin, but of Somali descent. But there was a Somali friend of his um, who noticed on, on a Crime Stoppers appeal that the T-shirt that the torso was wearing belonged to a, fr- a friend of his was missing. So he came forward and he got a big reward from Crime Stoppers at the time. So I think the guards started putting together that where was he last seen and put connections to the, the, the Mull Halls and then CCD footage uh, uh, emerged of Linda and Charlotte out the next day with this hold all bag or the kids school bag around, draped around Linda's back and they were out having breakfast rolls as if nothing ever happened um, you know wandering aimlessly around town. 
It really is incredible. And then, of course, we have a, a very uh, public trial. I mean, you know, that as a nation, we were appalled, but we were also intrigued as to how this could happen in Dublin. Um, and what we also had was uh, the, the moniker given to the girls, which is stuck to this day, Scissors Sisters. Yeah, well, obviously the, the the pop band Scissor Sisters were quite big at the time, and I actually remember going to a Scissor Sisters concert at the time of the trial, and Jake Shearer was at the concert, obviously the the main singer, and he was actually reading out in in grisly detail the the, the, the details of the case, and he was actually laughing at how you know the the audacity of of somebody could do that, but also that they were connected to the whole case, so it was just weird that around that time I was actually at the, the gig by the actual band themselves that they were dubbed the Scissor Sisters. There was no scissors actually used in the killing, you know, but the, the media latched on that these were two sisters, they'd used cutting announcements and the band was huge at the time here in Ireland and all around the world. And um, so that's how they got dubbed the Scissor Sisters. Talk to me about the trial a little bit, Eugene. Um, what did we learn during those days? Well, it was a big media frenzy, obviously, at the time. Um, Kathleen, she didn't go on trial. Like she, it was obviously Linda and um, Charlotte. They were both up. Um, Kathleen fled to England at the time. And um, so the two of them obviously were, were <laughs> in the dock, so to speak. At the time, like prior to that, the, the guards had not much evidence um, against either of them, barred, you know, circumstantial evidence. But Linda, in, in subsequently, in a few weeks after her, um, her initial questioning, she owned up that she was involved in the killing. And, and, and that's how the guards were able to, you know, forensically put things together that and placed them all in the same scenes and, 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 and made her case because of Linda's basic confession, you know. So Kathleen, at this point, she she's she's not under any suspicion, is she? Well, she, I think the guards did want to question her, particularly about the, you know, that she did, uh, didn't report the crime. She was concealing evidence and that she did sort of, um, you know, dis- dispose, help dispose of the body as well. So they, they, didn't, they knew that they couldn't get her for murder or manslaughter but that she was um, involved in, in, in the cover-up. And uh, there was a very tragic uh, incident concerning their father, John, around that time. Yeah, uh, uh, just around the time of the trial or, or sub- subsequent to it, he, he, he went off and hanged himself in, in, in a local park, whether it was the distress of the whole situation or being caught up in it. Um, who knows? But like um, he, he had a bit of a volatile relationship with Kathleen sort of in the past anyway, but um, as, as um, he, he, he split up with her and far removed into the family home. So with the whole thing happening, like, you know, uh, it's just perhaps it all got too much from and, you know, wondering, you know, that two of his daughters probably going to be locked up for God knows how long. And it's probably worth mentioning, Eugene, that... This was a family with a history of violence. Um, even Kathleen's own childhood was pretty horrific and traumatic by the sounds of things. Yeah, well, Kathleen, she was born Kathleen Ward and she's from a, a traveller background, you know, but um, she was married to John and, and as I said, but like he was, you know, could have been, they had a volatile relationship and he, he, he was alleged to beat her um, a bit and that's they split up. 
So there was a lot of violence swirling around both Linda and Kathleen. And of course, Farah was quite violent towards Kathleen many times and had a history of violence, like he was arrested several times by the guards and found with a knife on one stage. He never served time. He was accused of raping three women on three separate occasions and impregnating a 16-year-old Chinese girl, a disabled, mentally disabled Chinese girl who subsequently had a baby against her wishes with him, you know. So it's just an awful vista of, of violence. When the trial concluded, what was the sentencing, Eugene? Well, Charlotte, she um, was, she got done for murder primarily because um, the, the jury and the judge were of the opinion that Lind was provoked into reacting violently against Farah, making moves on her and, and, and being aggressive towards her and that somewhat that she was driven to this killing. That So she, she was done for manslaughter, so she got 15 years. But Charlotte was more um, sort of, she like there was no instigation for her to be so, so violent towards Farah besides seeing what happened to her sister. But because she sort of slit his throat the way she did initially caused a domain devastating type wound to him and which, you know, when he collapsed to the floor that she she was done for murder and she got a life sentence, an automatic life sentence. And then Kathleen came back from London. Yes, and she eventually handed herself in and she basically got um, three years for concealing the scene of a crime and not reporting, you know, um, evidence basically that could have led to convictions of others. Now, Linda... It has been out since 2018 and you actually doorstepped her. Yeah, she was released in, in, in January 2018 and she did just over 12 years in, in jail, which is quite a, a sizable term for a manslaughter, even these days. And um, <clears throat> I eventually tracked her down to her new um, home in County Kildare, in a town in County Kildare at um, sort of the end of June, early July 2018. And um, she was sharing an apartment with some other females and she was visited at the time by what we believe was a a prison officer that she met when she was in jail and that she was now in a relationship with. Um, We saw him now and again coming into the apartment she was in and eventually I approached her at a nearby little store um, car park and um, went over to her and said, basically, how are you? <laughs> Initially, she thought I was a family friend, but then I said, look, I'm a reporter with the Sunday World and um, everyone would love to know how you're getting on. And, you're, and she was initially very polite and she said, um, look, I just want to get on with living my life and um, I'd want to be left alone type thing, you know. And she was really quite nice. But then... One of the, she was with two f- female companions and were, they were quite young. One of them anyway sort of got really aggressive and said, look, who are you? And sort of called me all these names. So she was obviously being protective of Linda. Yeah, of, of Linda yeah. herself, yeah. And then eventually I've, the last thing I said, look, do you want to give your side of the story? I said, no, I'm not giving any stories. I just want to be left in peace. And she has kept a very low profile since her release. Pretty much so, even so much so, I believe she has moved from that place where I tracked her down and she's now changed her name by deed poll. 
So okay. she's no longer Linda Mullall. Charlotte is still in, in prison in Limerick? Yeah, she moved from the Doka Centre in Manjoy down to Limerick. Um, she, to, to, like, the two of them, when they were in prison, like they're both, they, they both ended up in the Doka Centre and they, 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 they used to do the hairdressing in there with the, for the other prisoners and, they, and Linda used to love doing beauty and type stuff. But in the last couple of years, Charlotte got a move down to Limerick Prison where she's completely a new, complete... Uh, change of scenery for her, you know, like she's has been in prison now for maybe what was it about sixteen years. So like it's it's a big move for her to leave all her friends in Dublin down to Limerick. I mean, we know that Kathleen is visiting Charlotte and has uh, visited Linda as well. Yeah, well, I think her uh, Linda and Kathleen's relationship is a bit more complex than the one with um, Charlotte. I think Linda blames Kathleen for getting involved in the whole situation and that she, that the two of them basically got the rap for the killing and and, and Kathleen basically got off pretty much scot-free. She was out after about a year and a half and, and even though they say that Kathleen was the one that instigated saying kill him for me and, and, and she provoked them basically into killing um, Farah. But they haven't really spoken, Linda and Kathleen, in, in many years. And um, Kathleen's of the opinion that she's only got one um, daughter, Charlotte, now, and one son. Um, she's estranged from the other, um, her other kids, apparently. And Charlotte's the only one um, that she's, of the daughters that, that she's sort of in regular touch with. And it's only in the last several months that she's back visiting Charlotte after a bit of a fallout. But... Um, they seem to be quite close again now. And so finally, Eugene, I mean, it's a dreadful story. It's so brutal. It's so gruesome, um, really appalling. Have any of these women shown any remorse for what they've done? None whatsoever, no. Like, like even in the interviews Kathleen's given, she's never really said sorry, but... Um, Linda, when I spoke to her, she was obviously had an opportunity to to do that, um, and she didn't want to or didn't want to comment at all. And as for Charlotte, like she's she in prison, she was once photographed um, there a few years ago with um, holding up a, a kitchen knife to a, a, in a jokey type scene in in prison um, um, to a man's neck, nearly reenacting what she did to Farah. So um, I think there rationale for all this could be summed up by um, Linda's daughter Nikita who um, raged um, once on Facebook after Linda was um, released that Farah was an evil man he was a rapist he was a murderer and he got his just desserts and if we see Linda's daughter Nikita saying that it's obviously instilled and ingrained into that family that this guy was an evil effort and deserved what he got My thanks there to Eugene Masterson, journalist and columnist for The Sunday World. I'm Siobhan Maguire and today's episode was researched and produced by myself with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE, Virgin Media and Independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, please like, follow or leave us a review.